Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. I'm very excited about today's guest. Kate Leeming is an explorer and adventurer and has cycled the distance greater than twice around the world at the equator, which is really amazing to think about. I found out about Kate several years ago and was hoping to bring her to Kuwait. That never happened. Oh, well, it didn't happen yet. Maybe it'll happen someday. But her work bringing education to the most vulnerable around the world through her cycling is just so inspiring to me and I, I believe will be to all my listeners. I'm amazed at what she does. Kate, welcome to Journeys to Belonging. Thank you, Aline. Lovely to, well, not quite be there, but certainly be with you tonight. So well, it was tonight here. It's not tonight there, I don't think. Well, um, it's still this afternoon here, but yeah, so... People are probably wondering, where in the world is she? So please tell us more. I didn't really talk about any details in terms of your bio. So tell us where you are and tell us the things that you're working on. Right. Well, I'm in, I'm in Melbourne, which um, has gone from the most livable city in the world to the most locked down city in the world. But we are Goodness. just coming through all of that. Um, and, and things are looking quite positive now. Um, that's giving us a... a ticket to, to move on so that, that's cool. Originally I come from Western Australia actually uh, so I grew up on a wheat and sheep farm um, about 130 kilometers east of Perth, you know what that is, and then um, you know went away to boarding school and, and university and, and actually did become a teacher but, but I realized that when I went to start teaching I did physical and health education and I realized that actually the the kids in the first school were teaching me more about life than I knew myself because I'd really just gone straight through school and straight through uni and, and, and then back to school again. Um, and I always wanted to travel. And um, so once I'd finished uni and worked for a year or so, I was a part of a group that organized a, a hockey tour of the UK. I went over there, but I'd always dreamed of cycling, but I didn't know what could be achieved on a bike at that stage and I didn't have any confidence or anything like that because I'd oh. grown up in this little pocket of the world mm -hmm. and did a little trip in Ireland with a friend uh, from that tour but then I'd also started to plan something a bit bigger in Europe with some other friends and then so that sort of was how I started to find my passion um, and I just loved the you know I did about 15,000 kilometres through Europe over the next couple of years as um, one bigger trip in particular. And that was just really where I found, yeah, my passion for cycling. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, I just really love the way you're very connected with the people and the land. And I love the fact that you're just bringing a line on a map to life is, you know, amazing, you know, getting through a day and, you know, traveling quite a distance and under my own steam and then getting to the end of the day, it's very satisfying. Right. Um, and, and then just just gives um, a great sense of place and a perspective of how the world fits together. And in particular, that was Europe at, at that time. Uh, so that's kind of how the cycling bit started. So it's really 
it's more that I explore by bike. I think, you know, not sort of, I don't kind of fit into the, I am a sports person, a professional sports person actually, but not at cycling. <laughs> I use <laughs> the cycling uh, in a different way. Um, right. And and so I kind of don't quite fit into the like cycling sport just, um, side of things, even though I am pretty competitive as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then I met a fellow called Robert Swan, the polar explorer, UK, um, uh, when I was in the UK, and he's mm-hmm. like the first person in history to have walked to both the North and South Poles. And this was wow. when I was at the same time planning my first sort of major expedition um, across Russia. Mm-hmm. And Robert taught me and he helped me, he gave me a lot of confidence and he taught me that there was much more value to what I was doing than simply riding a bike for myself. And that's where things started to change. And so I sort of that turned that into a proper expedition. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So, you know, I became the first woman to cycle from um, St. Petersburg to Vladivostok at a time when uh, Russia was, well, just did just become a country, actually. Yeah, so, you know, would you and I had probably grown up with the Soviet Union as this sort of mm-hmm. enemy sort of thing. And I lived on the other side of the world. And then there was the Chernobyl nuclear accident, uh, you know, and that was still, you know, all hushed up in Soviet times. Right. And then, you know, seven years later, I'm planning to cycle, you know, with the breakdown of the CIS and into separate countries. And I'm about to cycle across the biggest country in the world, uh, <laughs> raising funds aiding children affected by the Chernobyl disaster. So it's like, hmm, how does that work? But it was kind of amazing how, how that came to be yeah. and how, how that all, all sort of came, came through. Um, so that was the first big one. Kilometres, 13,000, just under 13,500 kilometres. Um, 8,304 miles. I know that because I was travelling with a, a British friend Greg who who he would always talk in miles and I would talk in kilometers so. oh how fun <laughs> so we sort of generally got kept a distance on the well, not the distance but we we just both spoke in, in different ways about it but that was cool mm-hmm. I just yeah. think it sounds like you're going further <laughs> that's true <laughs> um, uh, and part of that like there was like 1500 kilometers of swamp in eastern Siberia where there were oh, no wow. marked on so we had US Air Military maps that I'd found in the best map shop, I think, in the world in London. And, you know, you couldn't get any other maps at all. And this was before you'd have any, you know, GPS or anything like that. Right. So, you know, we had to follow the railway line. And um, and then sometimes forestry, little forest, forestry tracks or whatever. So there's no road signs or anything like that. And just working with locals, you know, to, to get through. So that was... Right. Yeah, an amazing experience. I imagine so. Wow, how long how long did that take you? I mean, how long was yeah. that expedition? Yeah, there was five, well, it was five months. 13, we arrived a day ahead of schedule after five months, which is even more ridiculous. Oh, gosh. Um, I was sort of always trying to keep to my goals because we sure. were restricted because of the seasons and, and we weren't right. equipped for winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, there was lots of, I mean, the whole country was changing before our eyes. What an adventure and what a time to be there. And what a a cause to have at that Mm -hmm. time. But, you know, when when you feel it's right, it's it's right. You're you're going to do it. You know, you you went ahead and did it. Uh, Yeah. And I think, you know, 
you know, if we hadn't left, you know, on the started on the first of May, we pretty much would have had to wait for another year. Mm -hmm. So, so it was pulled together amazingly quickly, and mm -hmm. you know, I had a um, one of Robert Swan's sort of fellow polar explorers, who was an amazing Russian. He's a doctor, a thoracic surgeon. He was a Lenin mm -hmm. medalist, um, and you know, Robert was helping him convert to get all, you know, set him up for his own business. Now that he was allowed to have a business. <laughs> And okay. with Misha Malakov, and so I worked with him, mm -hmm. and I went over there before the start, about a month before the start of the journey. I, I'd met I'd met him when he'd come to to London, and this was that was crazy because I'm you know I'm 25 and I'm I'm going across like to you know the Soviet Union to this sort of Moscow airport, which looked like the KGB must have been anywhere around the oh, corner. Oh goodness! Wow. Two people standing there with my, you know, with a, a sign up with my name on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I sort of have to trust those people. Yes. Took us up, took us down. And then it was just a massive learning curve. Um, I bet. Yeah, especially since it was your, your first time. I mean, you had done these cycling, cycling expeditions, but nothing certainly like this and with a purpose and in completely, I mean, I say the word foreign, and you know that is in capital letters, foreign territory at the time that you did. That that's really amazing. Well, Kate, we're going to get into some of your other later work and so forth. So mm -hmm. I'll ask my first question that I usually ask, but you've sort of alluded to it already a little bit in in what you've said about your bio. I always ask my guests if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I guess it's, it's still my home and where I grew up because I still think that's, you know, in your formative years, that's where you, that's what affects you most and, and how you see the world. And then all these other things on top of that, actually, you know, I feel like I'm ex exploring to understand how the world fits together in this very grounded way. Mm -hmm. So belonging to our planet would be another way of thinking of it that I'm, I'm gradually also pulling all these, these, these things in, um, all these different uh, continents. Yeah, like even though I lived, I've been living in Melbourne for a while, I still think that the West is still my home and, and you know, families getting older, they're not all there anymore, but I still feel that's, that's kind of still where my heart is. But I see the world entirely differently now with, with all of the other experiences under my belt. And so it's kind of a privilege to look back Mm -hmm. um, at, at home and uh, and see what home was and and, and see, see my upbringing from a different perspective from the good and you know things and 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 the positives and and things that were also you know would have been awesome if I had other opportunities as well at that stage but but overall I realized I'm pretty lucky yes and so you sort of made those opportunities for yourself by you know exploring and and being adventurous and then Offering, offering that uh, adventure to others. So uh, you've talked a little bit already about where, where your passion for cycling comes and how did that passion for cycling and the idea about breaking the cycle education happen? So if you give us a little bit of back background about breaking the cycle education and how your trip to, through Siberia or through that, you know, in those early years, how that affected what you're, you know, what you did along the way, and and uh, yeah, just just a little bit about your journey. Just quick, so so after ten years, I did another journey, 
-hmm. um, when you start to ask me about education. And this was to see how my own country matched up after seeing or having all of those other experiences. Um, and so I organized the Great Australian Cycle Expedition and that was about education for sustainable development. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the United Nations, UNESCO took it on as one of the first, well, Australia's first official activity for their decade of education for sustainable development. And that was the first time I tried to, well, it wasn't a very good education program, but I made an effort. First time I had a website, but you know, all of those things. And during mm -hmm. the journey, I was speaking to students in remote places as well. As far as the education side, I kind of learned how I could do it better next time, but I, I, I could realize it was a time when like sustainability was still not really widely understood as a concept. Um, it was kind of right at the start of that. What year uh, would that have been? So that was, it was 2004. So the okay. average person is what I'm talking about. Absolutely, really yes, yeah. Didn't really understand about, about that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it was it, sustainability was, had entered the dictionary yet, even though obviously, um, you know, it was obviously defined a lot, a long time before that. Right. Um, sustainability around Australia as coming from a, a, a wheat and sheep farm myself and understanding, um, you know, most farmers actually do amazing work in terms of they have to be able to sustain themselves. Um, right. so, so often they, you know, get a bad rap but so many of them are just amazing um, at managing the land and as business people they actually have to manage it really well to to do to to make the most out of it so right. um, you know and that's something that growing up it affected me a lot because my dad how my dad sort of farmed the land and and things that he was trying to do to improve the productivity so there's all there's, there's a lot of parts of of that and and there's also the concept of me sustaining myself for 25,000 kilometers over nine and a half months um, through uh, 7,000 kilometers off-road on very remote tracks and you know part included the first crossing of the Canning stock route by a woman by bicycle um, mm -hmm. so that's got a thousand sand dunes um, you know so so that was a big journey and that was my first attempt we are talking about education here um, that was my first attempt to to do something with, with education and start to use what I'd studied a little bit and, and starting to then bring that back into the, you know, the value of my journeys. And then the breaking the cycle uh, concept came with the next journey. And that was when I started looking at Africa and, and thinking, okay, look, I feel really passionate about the importance of education. And I was looking at a map showing levels of illiteracy, which was basically uh, showing a lot of countries in, in most of, in most need of improved illiteracy, um, mm -hmm. improved literacy, I should say, uh, across the, the Sahara region through the base of the Sahara. And I was thinking, okay, now this this could be a really great story because you know if I cycle from the most westerly tip to the most easterly tip, uh, and 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 then also try to bring in this story when I was firstly looking at education, but when I did the research, I realised that I had to look at not just the issues regarding education but actually all of the causes and effects of extreme poverty because they're all related in different ways and 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 um you know this is a time when you know we're talking about the millennium development goals so i was looking at those and i was i've done masses okay. of research before i started as well with um understanding what the main issues were mm -hmm. just okay. just but then i didn't have any experience and as we all know you know learning by experience is the best way to learn so so the idea for breaking the cycle firstly firstly i was thinking 
it was just a light bulb moment because I was, I was sitting here thinking, okay, we're talking about breaking the cycle of poverty. And then, okay, what I'm doing on a bike is pretty difficult, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so that's how that journey got the, or the expedition got the title of uh, breaking the cycle in Africa. Um, and, and so, you know, yes, I did visit quite a few schools, but we also created um, an education program here with the Victorian Department of Education. Um, and um, so we were looking, you know, it was quite groundbreaking just because there was nothing out there really at even then. So that was really being made in 2009. Um, there was just, you know, um, a group of people from the education department were, you know, putting together a, a, um, a program, which was very cool to know when I was cycling through these places and writing blogs and sending information back. And then I knew that children were learning uh, from that and, and really understanding a lot more about the real Africa and not just the cherry picked, usually negative stories that come through the media. And that's the story that I really wanted to tell was the real Africa. And, you know, I'd seeded that journey um, uh, with, I had 10 different uh, partners. We had about 15 different projects during that 22,000 kilometers. Um, so I was actually visiting each project um, during the journey. So I was having to not just cycle, but time I'd time everything with meeting up with different organizations. Wow. Pretty crazy to do. Um, because I just knew that by cycling, yes, you get a grounded view of a place. But these issues were just way more complex than I would ever be able to pick up or, you know, I, I knew that much that I just, so by being able to seed my story with, with these other interactions really, um, um, it, it seemed like a good plan, which it worked to a T actually. Um, oh, you know, it's not, nothing's ever perfect, but I still managed to do what I said, which was to cycle from the most westerly tip to the most easterly tip of Africa, from Senegal to Somalia, uh, to Cape Harfun in Somalia, which has not been done before. But at the same time, I was also meeting up with um, different and just learning about, about the same, the causes and effects of extreme poverty. So, so there's a story at, at the end of that that I, I, I feel pretty proud of. Um, and that's and then after that, with the breaking the cycle education, I just decided to keep breaking the cycle because it seemed to work as mm -hmm. a, even if it wasn't to do with Africa. Um, and so when I started to organize breaking the cycle South Pole, which is planning and planning to cycle, make the first bicycle crossing across the Antarctic continent via the South Pole. Um, I, I wanted to keep that breaking the cycle in there and, and start to use that with education, the actual logos and everything with breaking the cycle education itself didn't start till 2018. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been working on breaking the cycle South Pole for quite a you know a while, um, getting um, skilled for the polar regions because I'm good at the heat, but not the cold. The heat's fine. I can do all you know all sorts of heat, but um, so there's a whole different skill set that I, I need to acquire, and it's pretty expensive when you have to go to Arctic regions and bring other people in on it as well. Right. So, um, so that, that that's been a journey, just getting the skills and developing the bike, and um, it you know it's the very first um, all-wheel drive fat bike in the world that was made. You know, and we've been I've been working with you know all of this has educational value as well when we're talk, I'm talking to kids. Yes. Um, um, so there's been that journey, um, 
Uh, and then, say, in 2018, I still hadn't found the funding. Well, the funding is the hardest part of these things, actually. I, um, bet, I bet it's not your favourite part either. No, it's just I hate asking for funds. But so the only way I can do it is to really sure. be really sure about what I'm doing and make sure that I have uh, can prove that I'm going to be able to have decent materials at the end as well for them. Right. So. So it means that I'm not just a cyclist and, and someone who has to raise funds or gets a vision, but also at the other end of it, I have to be able to write, I have to be able to make films, I have to be able to present all of those things. Um, mm -hmm. And so I wasn't necessarily good at all those things and I've slowly learned to get better at them. Um, you know, yeah, sure, I'm good at, with a camera or whatever, but actually behind, you know, actually being filmed and presenting, that's, that's taken a while to, to get better at. Yeah, uh, all all a learning curve. Well, yeah. I know that uh, the the Africa expedition is on Beluga, right? For those who would like to go back and take a look at all the resources that you created and so forth. Um, so Beluga, what the the big African expedition wasn't it on its own on on Beluga because um, mm -hmm. the Beluga wasn't even around then. Um, right. But um, then I started. I met up with Evan if you probably know right Evan, Evan Schwartz mm -hmm. uh, Evan Schwartz and so with Evan firstly I just gave them a whole lot of materials and they made some things which so I had nothing to do with making that in that those lessons um but uh, then I've also made um some some lessons I've done which um I'm very proud of so two lesson series there that one's called uh, exploration for future leaders so it's really about the virtues of exploration and what is exploration and why is it important and then also um, there's lessons on um, creating a global perspective and um, creating empathy mm -hmm. and so that's all in that and so it starts off talking about some of the um, most um, sort of well-known explorers from different ages so everything from Marco Polo to Sir Ernest Shackleton to you know mm -hmm. um, uh, some of the heroes right now with, with say Jane Goodall and right. Sylvia Earle and then I was going further some young Australian explorers as well um, mm -hmm. and so there was that then you know the, so it's quite I, I, what's the best I can do <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so sitting there that's a, a pretty good resource I think there's eight lessons in that one and then there's another one I've made called it called uh, dream thinking and mm -hmm sort of it's using it's it's kind of using design thinking but to um to, to plan your own project so it starts with creating your vision from your values and your um, um passions and then it goes sort of right the way through the processes how do you create a mission and and and, and then how do you test that mission and then mm -hmm. go to the next stage and the next stage so it's i think there's um 11 11 lessons in that series but it's um for anyone who's wanting to to design their own project you right. know getting children to, to design their own projects i think it's we don't even have to do all of the lessons i think it's, there's some pretty useful you know things in there yeah um, and then that's, sort of, go, on. go ahead i know that that's really interesting it's sort of a good segue to what i wanted to ask you next which is you know a uh, in terms of the preparation, there's a lot of physical preparation that you need to do in terms of making sure that you're fit and all of that. There's also a lot of 
mental preparation because you're not just doing regular explorations or adventures or expeditions. You're going to sort of what we would say extreme places, you know, and I wouldn't call it extreme sports or anything like that, that really classifies it poorly, but yes, interesting <laughs> places that people don't really know about. And so by following your adventures, uh, we're able to learn more about the world. Like, and I, I know that's what you're trying to do, but I would love for you to talk a bit about what does that preparation look like? And it seems like from the first uh, adventure exploration you did until now, there's so many different things that you've learned. So touch on any of the things that you feel stand out in terms of your learning journey and uh, learning the resilience, the, the mental and the physical, how you prepare yourself. I, I'd love to know more. And I think my listeners would be interested also. Yeah, because as I think I mentioned, like each journey it changes me a little bit. So I, I couldn't have done the journey before that. Uh, so, so I couldn't plan the next journey without the journey before that because it's right. kind of like, you know, I see the world slightly differently. So I guess the process is um, lots of research and I, I have a very you know specific idea because I'm always, I love geography and I love the world and I'm always looking and reading and thinking of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but then like, I spend a long time before I even tell anybody about a particular journey I'm going to do in just creating the vision to make sure that it's something that's me and what I'm wanting to do. And, you know, there's usually an, a unique aspect to it because it's got to be saleable, but also, so a lot of them, I think I've got four or five world first sort of thing, just because no one's done that before. Um, um, but it's it's not doesn't have to be that it could it could be something else but something very unique so like they become like selling points as well as points of interest all of these things have to match up so I spent a long time researching putting that that side together then I think okay then I start to um, um, make some inquiries in different places and 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 just see is this possible and I look for the maximum first to see what's really out there. And then I kind of choose the path that I think is going to work. After that, I, I, I would, you know, sort of announce, <laughs> and especially with my parents, you know, I sort of like, I don't tell them until I'm really sure because they start to worry. So, so like, <laughs> course, you know, yes. with, with, with the Yeah, and it doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're, you're so, still their daughter. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but not just them, but all my friends too, they want to make sure they sort of get, would be worried. So they have to trust that I am putting processes in place to make things work. Right. Um, you know, you don't get across Africa from the most westerly tip to the most easterly tip through 20 countries in a continuous line um, without having good security plans and networking, amazing networking and mm -hmm. um, plans for each area that could be dodgy. Uh, so... So, so then I spend a lot of time on all of that and mm -hmm. just, and then, and then because by then, you know, I've got a, 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 a plan that I need to be able to sell. I need to be able to sell it to find sponsors, right. obviously for the education side, uh, obviously to actually have the energy to see this project right through to the other, other side of it as well. So, you know, um, but the other really important thing with getting that mission, that vision and mission right, is that when times do get tough, 
if I really believe in it and wholeheartedly believe in it, and it comes from me, and it comes from my passion, it comes from my vision and all, all of those things, then actually that's what breeds the resilience, I believe, because, um, you know, if, if you believe in that, there's always a way through. Um, so then, then it's bloody-mindedness trying to find sponsors and um, it's... You know, we've all had issues with trying to find funds for different things in our lives, haven't we? Yes. Um, and, and, and usually I'm just scraping the bottom of the barrel, just, you know, just trying to find just enough to, to make it happen. You know, I've got to be able to, each of those is like an investment from a sponsor and I've got to make sure that I, I pull that off. Um, as far as you ask about fitness, well, I'm always sort of working at fitness in particular, but when it comes to actually pulling these expeditions together it's it's almost like anti-training it's 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 the opposite because I am not getting any sleep you know I don't even have time much so so often fitness yes I've tested my knee and I've tested myself a little bit mm-hmm. uh, but there's there's well there's no point in overtraining because I'm gonna if I'm gonna be cycling for 10 months or five months or three months or whatever <laughs> I can just get fit as I, I go um, as long as I know that my body can cope and then I'll do like intensive sessions, say in, in the gym where I'm doing lots of um, interval training, where I'm just pushing my heart rate up to its you near know, its maximum. And you get a lot of, you know, it doesn't take long to, to, to train then. And, and mm-hmm. so it's a really good way to be ready. Um, and then it's just a matter of getting used to spending the time on the bike. Um, but my body's fit and ready to go sort of thing. So. Yeah, body, body and mind and spirit. Um, you mentioned uh, a specific type of bike that needed to be specially built for your next expedition. Have have you used, I, I don't know that much about cycling, but I do know there are different types of bikes, mm. but what does that look like and how do you know what you're going to need? You say you do a lot of research, so I'm sure that comes into it also, but how, you know, how do you do that? How do you develop that and how do you know that? Well, I, I'm not a technical technically minded person and to be honest the first bikes that I used for my first three big expeditions and so on I mean they're just regular mountain bikes really Um, Mm -hmm. and I make them as simple as possible because I'm going to remote places where I can't and I'm not a great mechanic either so I just have to make sure that it's a good bike good solid sturdy take anything that can break off it I don't use suspension or anything like that on a mountain bike I invest or have a sponsors for good working parts. So the drive train, like the pedals and the, sorry, not the pedals, the, the gears and, and, and the chains and cassettes and all of that stuff is kind of good quality, but it, we don't have to be paying for racing parts because that's, that's like a thoroughbred horse. You don't need a thoroughbred horse to go through where I'm going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so, so that's how it always was. And then, um, when I was looking for Antarctica, okay, um, you need to have a, a bike with very fat tires to have the flotation over the snow. And I guess I also had experience from cycling in a lot of sand, which is very similar to snow. Okay. Um, for example, anyone like in, in Australia, when I did my Australian expedition, I went up the Canning Stock Route. I mean, that's a huge thing. Uh, and like there's a thousand sand dunes and um, anyone who's done it since me has used the fat bike, i.e. With, with wider tyres, and that changes the game. And so, so when I was starting to look for a bike for 
Antarctica, then, then obviously it, it's a no-brainer. You have to have the widest tires possible. Um, but then I did a lot of research because, and I thought also because I don't know anything about the extreme cold, there are other parts to that. So then you've got to seek people who are, have experience in those conditions. So that's when I actually started asking, um, and I did sort of looking for um, bike manufacturers and um, bike shops in, in the US, because obviously in, in the north, in, in the one I, I dealt with was in Maine, and they're, they're dealing with cold conditions all the time. And you know, what happens with the lubricants when they freeze? Because if you have, in Antarctica, if I used a regular lubricant on the bike, I wouldn't be able to turn the pedals because because it's frozen. You've actually got right. to. There's lots of special. And I was really scared that you know you find all this money, all of this effort, and I got to Antarctica and my bike's useless because of one or two little things that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So then I had to really find out. So so I, I I made friends with a particular bike shop in Maine, and then the other question um, was really about the bike itself. And I was talking with the very um, inventive uh, owner of that bike shop and you know, 100, e 100 emails later back and forth with different designs and things. And there's a, a fellow in Philadelphia who had made an all wheel drive mountain bike. So um, there were other two wheel drive things out there that just would not cut it because I could see they're just not ro robust enough or strong enough for these extreme conditions. But this technology looked good. And I tracked Steve Christini down and um, I sort of asked him, you know, would you be able to, would he be able to put his technology into a fat bike? And you can't just retrofit it; it all has to be built from scratch um, because because it's um, the all-wheel drive system runs internally through the frame. Uh, without you can actually see, can you see that Amazing. bike behind me with with white? That's one of them. <laughs> My house has got a lot of bikes in it. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, so he loved this idea that he'd be building me a bike um, for Antarctica and he hadn't been making bicycles for a little while, he'd been making motorbikes uh, with the same system that he had the patent for, um, but he loved this. So he made the first one and I took, uh, I came from Australia via uh, the US and then across to, to, to Norway and up to uh, Svalbard, which are 80 degrees uh, Norwegian islands 80 degrees north um, and true polar conditions and I was being taught by an Australian polar explorer who's probably just about the best guide in the world Eric Phillips and had a very good filmmaker and a photographer with us to get the, the images that we also need and the footage that we need because we've also got to, got to find big bucks we need to have the highest quality um, content and so that was the first test up there and the bike was good like it was worth pursuing it wasn't that was the first one though that was the first prototype and there were things that needed to improve but it was it was from that we worked out that yeah it's worth developing this and then same with everything from the clothing and you know it was properly cold up there i'd never been in anything like it and learning to exercise mm -hmm. in the cold and how hard it, how much harder it is um, let alone trying to deal with the, the conditions, <laughs> which, you know, they're varying with, with every pedal stroke, the conditions are varying. So um, what is the system that you use? So, um, so 
over time I've become quite knowledgeable about the, 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 the choices of equipment because I've had to, because it's all about the function. And I guess that's probably, you know, you know, I'm not I'm not someone who needs to know, you know, specifics, but but I need to know that it's going to function and be reliable and be able to get me to the end. Yeah, um, because it's basically you and the bike. Yeah, and and you know, it needs to be simple um as simple as possible mm -hmm. and and so yeah so i've got four of those fat bikes so um the second one i tested in northeast greenland um no one's ever cycled up there before that was amazing that's actually the bike behind me is the greenland bike um and then uh the next one it, it was still we needed more tests the next one was built for 2017 and that was um for arctic canada up in the yukon and up in you know cycling over uh, part the Beaufort Sea, part of the Beaufort Sea was is pretty surreal. This stuff because I think these bikes have actually opened. It's like opening a can of worms as well because you can go to places that I didn't think was possible to cycle before. So that's where some of my really inventive recent expeditions have come from because now, like to, you know, sand cycling as well, um, in particular. Um, it's the same same bike. That's the, that's my sand cycling bike now. And it's been down the oldest river in the world in Australia, the Fink River. Uh, it's dry, <laughs> but it's just cycling along the riverbed, you know, for five hundred odd kilometres. It made the first uh, journey down Namibia's entire coastline over the Namib Desert. From um, so no one's ever done that before. <laughs> it's like sixteen hundred kilometres, or just over a thousand miles. Uh, from Angola's border, so the mouth of the Kinane River, all the way to the mouth of the Orange River, on which is the border with South Africa and Namibia. Wow. And, you know, more than half of that was no roads at all, and it's the wildest. It was a great test as well, and it's a brilliant story. I mean, we've made that into a, a feature film, and it's been it's a TV series now as well, so um, that's being sold around the world, which is getting it out there but it's just like so now how I each of these journeys I'm learning and it's how you how we can sort of explore the land and you know create these different stories that have never been created before so it's pulling all of those experiences together from the big ones um, and and now you know all altitude training as well they're not just training their expeditions the one I did it up in um uh, the Indian Himalaya in 2018 also uh, that was a humanitarian expedition as well so it wasn't the world first or anything but I teamed up with some Indian partners sort of a, a group of us brought light and education through through solar power to the most remote village in the Zanskar range and and then also you know I was talking with kids in schools and they were setting up these remote education um, platforms uh, so they can't get the internet up there in many of these places so they set up solar panels they have a, a dc system so they have the computers running off what's called raspberry pi which means they can run off of the alternate the alternating sorry the um, direct current from the uh the solar panels right. and and then just they don't because they don't have the internet they just have this sort of hard drives with you know, terabytes worth of resources on there and it creates a Wi-Fi hotspot. So it's a bit like using the internet without the internet, without the World Wide Web. And yeah. so they were setting that those up. So so that was a very cool thing to do as well, um, which I've made a film about that too. 
I'll, I'll include all the links to all of these, uh, the expeditions in your website and, and all of that. Anything that I have missed asking you, uh, including, I don't know how much you can share of your next expedition, the one to uh, the South Pole, uh, it, how people can get involved if they want or uh, what they should be looking forward to when, when you're thinking or hoping to start? Because I know with seasons and things like that, that will have an effect. Too. That's right. That's right. So the, uh, breaking the cycle South Pole or any journey across Antarctica can only ever happen in the Antarctic summer. So from mid-November, December and January. And um, so pretty much I've got most things ready just needs a bit of fine tuning when I know I mean the, the, the whole issue is finding the right support and um, that's what's stopping me going um, you know to get what we can do education wise out of this will be amazing right, and especially right. now that there's it's actually possible to do even some live streaming from the Antarctic plateau that's only been possible in the last season or so um, really? So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my journey needs to be supported. There's absolutely no way um, that I'd ever be able to carry uh, what I need, everything that I need for that kind of distance. So, the distance, if I if I can go from ocean to ocean, that's actually almost around about three thousand kilometers. If I just go over the land and not the ice shelves, then it's about eighteen hundred kilometers. Either way it needs to be supported which is why it's expensive but you know i'm doing a lot of all the time i'm i'm, I'm trying to find ways in you because the, the amount i need is so much more 10 or 20 or 50, even fifty thousand isn't going to get me very far so, so so you know normally i can get those kind of amounts for the other journeys that i do um or you know tens and twenties and fives but but this is that's okay to top up at the end. This is, you know, we need many hundreds of thousands. So um, yeah, we just need, need to be able to, you know, it's really good for a tech company, an education company. It's really good for, there's, there's, you know, insurance or there's lots of areas. So I guess the one way in particular, that if anyone has any particular connections or ideas or suggestions, that would be pretty helpful. Um, I've still got also expeditions that are on, have been on hold thanks to the pandemic. Uh, the last one of I've been doing a journey on every other continent that's also preparatory for Antarctica so the sand and the altitude cycling and the polar mm -hmm. and, and there's one of those left in the Andes which I, I, I managed to do uh, 1100 kilometers you know it's going it, it's from um, Cusco in Peru and it's basically um, going through Bolivia through little bits of Chile I'm following all these the line of the volcanoes and actually cycling up some of them wow. Um, and I've got seven weeks of that journey to go to finish um, that. So um, that's what I'm hoping to do in um, the window is February, March, April this year, which looks like I might be able to travel now. <laughs> so that's a yes, good Yes, hopefully. <laughs> so, um, so that's also what I'm, I'm setting up. And, and, you know, I'm working with lots of, you know, I'm working with different schools. I've, I'm actually in the midst of doing um, a series of lectures Mm -hmm. or education in motion which um, is just the rebranded name for Dulwich College International the international schools um, so Dulwich College in London is like a 400 year old uh, school so one of the earliest uh, sco schools in London still well, still going 
and um, uh, the most famous um, alumni of Dulwich College in London was Sir Ernest Shackleton. And oh, wow. so, so these international schools were started about 20 years ago and um, in, in, um, in mostly China, but also Singapore and Korea. And there's, there's, there's actually 13 of them now. Um, Dulwich and there's some Chinese schools as well as part of that group. Growing very fast, but they all, as part of what they do as a group, they they call it the Shackleton Lectures, and every year they they ask someone to do that. And this year it's my turn, so I've been doing. I've got twenty two lectures in total. I've done sixteen of them now. I've got another one tomorrow and the next day and the day after. So um, um, yeah, so I'm hoping to get those. There's about eleven thousand students there. Nice. You know, we want to get them involved, but you know, I think for your listeners imagining you know, once we get this thing going is is just what we can do collectively to, right. to, to get maximal participation um you know i'll have some educators helping me with some um some very good resources as well so it'll be much awesome. more but the, the trouble is that it all costs money to, to even produce yes. resources yes. Costs money and right. and that's where I, it's like i'm going to set up my own foundation um that's part of it as well, breaking the cycle foundation. And that's really nice. going to be about teaching, like teaching, helping develop, you know, the next generation of leaders. And it's about education for leadership. And, right. and the idea, you know, I've met, firstly, I've met so many um, great uh, initiatives and projects and organizations in my journeys, in particular in Africa. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I've felt so helpless because I've never been able to help them. And I think that the idea with my foundation will be to have some leadership education, uh, and then the opportunity for some of those young leaders to to visit some of the projects. Right. Um, I'll be you know, um, making a contribution to those projects, and mm-hmm. and then they'll spend some time, like getting firsthand experience. Right, like internships. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I think there's so much so much of the storytelling that you're able to do and so it's not like you're not doing it i know you you mean it in a way that you know you really haven't developed or helped in terms of of them being able to get out of poverty or 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 improving their education but just the attention that's being able to be paid to and the knowledge that the rest of the world gets about the places that you're going into and I, you know, and the people that you're meeting and all of that, I think is just uh, invaluable. It's just, it's just so valuable. Really, it is. Um, Kate, uh, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, but uh, where can people find you? What are the best places to locate you uh, if they want to hop off the podcast and look for you? And all of this information and all of your links uh, will be sure to have uh, in my show notes. Thank you very much. The, the, uh, my website Actually, I have two two uh, web addresses that go to the same point to the same place. The mm-hmm. easy one to remember is kateleeming.com. Okay. The other one is breakingthecycle.education, uh, and they, they they both go to the same place. Um, okay. So you can pick up, you can you can get links to watch the lights of Ladakh and films, and 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 you can have a look at all of the expeditions. You can get links to my Beluga channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a good place to start. I mean, you can find me easily enough on 
all the social media. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's it's yeah, uh, on, it. on Twitter. It's leaming underscore Kate. Yeah, and Instagram's the same. Okay, good. Uh, Facebook Kate M Leeming. There's more than one Kate Leeming in the world, believe it or not. Oh, so <laughs> we have to. <laughs> um, that happens. So, yeah. So yes, what else? LinkedIn. Very easy to find me under my name. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I'm always interested to, to hear people's ideas or if someone wants to help with, you know, producing some content or I can help them or whatever, you know. So yes, the, I'll be sure to tag those educators who I know are very, very involved in the sustainable development goals and also in global collaboration and just exposing their students all around the world to, to expeditions and adventures and and finding out what's out there. So uh, absolutely, uh, I will make sure you will have a long list of links uh, in your show notes. Kate, Thank this you. has been wonderful and I'm so happy to reconnect with you after all this time. I wish you the best of luck in the expeditions that keeping my fingers crossed get going next year. And uh, like Kate said, if anybody has any connections uh, to reach out to her and let her know. Thank you so much. And I mean, there's a couple of books as well, actually on my website, but they're hard for me to get them to you. You can get them if you're in the US, UK or Europe or Australia. Uh, um, it's, it's a little bit harder to get them further afield um, okay. given the, the systems we have at the moment. Okay, and they are on your website? Yep, yep. Perfect. There's Perfect. Uh, Out There and Back which is about the Australian expedition and there's Njinga, yes. which is about the African, the big African expedition, not the Namibian expedition. Perfect. Oh, I'm yes. sure there are people who'll be looking for those. So thanks again, Kate. This has Thank been you. wonderful. Thanks, Elaine. Nice to actually chat with you face to face. I yes. think we've done that yet. Yes. I'll get to wait one day. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping, or I'll get to, you know, Melbourne. Let's see. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.